Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey listeners, this is Mark Trichel. What you are about to hear is a portion of a podcast that I recorded on NCUA's priority letters. And long story short, there will be the first three priorities discussed here in this podcast. And I had to break it in part A because it was so long and B because my internet crashed about halfway through. So without further ado, here are priorities one, two, and three. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to have two special guests and two of my team members, Todd Miller and Steve Farr, who are going to talk through what's going on in the world of credit unions today, but more specifically, NCUA's supervisory priority letter, which came out in the middle of January. Todd and Steve, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing well. Glad to hear Glad to be here. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be fun. I enjoy all my podcasts, but when I can chat with either or both of you, it's that much more fun for me, and I think for the listeners as well. And we did this last year. This is one of the first podcasts that we did. This letter to credit unions is always one of my favorite times of the year. I like the budget, and I like this letter because it kind of is an indication of where NCUA views the potential in- issues in credit unions. Before we dive in for for those listeners who may not have heard you, Todd, or you, Steve, before, let's go, Todd, let's go first with you. Can you give a little bit of your background at NCUA and what you you did there before coming to assist me with credit unions here in the real world? Sure, Mark. So I was with NCUA from November of 87 to June of 2021, so a few months short of 34 years. During that time, I spent a good part of it as an examiner, a good part of it as a problem case officer. The last 20 years, I spent 10 years as a regional capital market specialist and 10 years as a director of special actions, um, all out in what is today the Western region. Enjoyed my career very much. Very good. Very good. And Steve? Yeah. Yeah, I did the 30 plus years with NCUA, about half of it as a problem case officer out in the Western United States. And then the last half was in examination and insurance and various duties there. One of the main ones I did at the end of my career was worked on the risk-based capital rule. But I had the benefit of working on many, many projects, including the, the, the capital or the corporate credit union resolution so just all all the projects that that were interesting and I think ultimately beneficial to the credit unions. Very good. Yes. And so all three of us were problem case officers. All three of us were directors of special actions. All three of us touched in some way many of the biggest challenges that NCUA had to deal with over our our three careers, which overlapped for many, many years, but uh, collectively 100 years at NCUA, give or take a year or two or a month or two. And a lot of, seen a lot. We saw a lot while we were at NCUA. We're also seeing some things 
now that we're outside of NCUA and that the world that we live in is in a very kind of unique financial situation that, quite frankly, I don't, in my 33 years at NCUA, some of the things that are going on now we had dealt with, but there's kind of a confluence of events that are going on in the economy today. And maybe before we jump into the specific priorities that NCUA has outlined, we could speak a little bit to what's going on economically and what that means a little bit for credit unions and what we're seeing. Todd, with your background in capital markets and in some of the discussions you and I, you and I have had recently with credit unions, maybe it would be good if you could kind of summarize your take on what's happening right now economically. Sure, Mark. And we went into great detail on this on some of our liquidity podcasts. The world is a very interesting place right now. We went through COVID in 2020, 2021. We had an unprecedented amount of government assistance, which led to a lot of deposit inflows for credit unions. And then things changed. And now we've had an inverted yield curve for a year. In the last year, Fed funds have went up 400 basis points. Uh, Treasuries have went up. 10-year treasuries have went up 220 basis points. Just an average 30-year mortgage rate is up 310 basis points. We have these double digits inflations, which I don't think anyone has seen since the late 80s, early 90s. So we have this conjunction of events that create a huge amount of uncertainty, and no one has ever seen these conditions before. So how do you train people and get people ready for this? Well, you really can't. It's like NCUA going into every recession. We were always short staff and then we'd hire a bunch of people and we train them and they would get really smart and how to figure out all these problems. And then they get promoted and move on and we would reduce staffing and we repeat the cycle. Well, we're kind of in the same place. NCUA is in the same place again, but so are credit unions. No one on their management team or staff really has experience with these conditions and there's still a huge amount of uncertainty. We'll talk about what credit unions can do at the end, but I think NCUA is facing a huge amount of uncertainty themselves and staffing. So they've shortened this priority letter up to some basics that are really important. Yeah, well said, well said. Steve, any thoughts relative to what Todd had to say before we jump into the priorities? Yeah, operating environment is is a real issue of which you don't have a lot of control of. But how you choose to react to it and the thoughts and the processes you go through as you're looking at those decisions have to be made are going to be super critical look going forward. Yeah, well said, well said. And Todd, you referred to what fell off the list I in previous podcasts and blogs and on LinkedIn. I've spoke to the fact that in 2022, there were 11 priorities, and that was at least four more than there had been in the previous four years. The previous four years, there were either six or seven. They jacked that up to 11. And as I've said previously, when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And now here we are, and there are definite priorities, right? The first three in particular, which which, as we've discussed offline are are kind of related, but what fell, as a reminder, what fell off was payment systems, which was new last year, capital adequacy, which was new last year and ironically hadn't been on the list in the last five years. Loan participations was also new. And then there were a couple that had occasionally been on that that snuck their way back onto the list, like loan loss reserving. So that's what left the list in 2022. And we're here with six and maybe seven, if you count some of the other comments that are listed. 
But first up, in order, and, and as I always tried to look at anything that NCUA would issue publicly, if you're going to have six priorities, you should put them in order of priority, right? So what's the most important in the eyes of NCUA? And while they don't publicly say that, that's the reality of how these documents are put together. And first up on the on the radar for NCUA is interest rate risk. And Todd, you talked about a lot of statistics as it relates to interest rate risk. We've had podcasts on net economic value. We've had podcasts on liquidity. And, and interest rate risk in and of itself is a topic, but it's closely linked to the others. And real quickly, I'll just kind of rattle them off in order. Interest rate risk is number one. Liquidity risk is number two is number three, fraud pretension, fraud prevention and detection is four, and information security is five, and consumer financial protection is six, although it has more words devoted to it than any of the other five topics, which is interesting that it's six, but it takes more words to explain than any of the first five. And I think there's a reason for that likely, and I'll get to that if I remember. All right, with that, Todd, Steve, interest rate risk and credit unions and this priority letter. What What's your take on what NCUA says here, maybe what they don't say, and what credit unions should be looking for? Well, for years, NCUA has told people from their ALM model perspective to model an up 300 basis point shock. The general common thought is that was enough to trigger all the options. It's never really going to happen in real life, although it did happen in 94. And it definitely happened in 2023 interest rates went up an actual 300 basis points. And the fallout of what we've seen from credit unions, and I don't think credit unions were prepared for it at all, is you've got a 10% drop in your investment valuation, both available for sale and held to maturity. Essentially, most of those investment portfolios are now illiquid. It's not really spoken of, but if your ALM model is functioning properly, well, you've seen a similar drop in the value of your loans as well. So they're not really available for sale without taking losses either. So in this case, we have an actual interest rates that have moved 300 basis points. It's created assets that are illiquid, both loans and investments. Are, you can't sell them without incurring a real significant loss to capital. On the other side of that, borrowings have shot up. To 81 billion, they doubled during the course of just the first nine months of 2022. We haven't seen December's numbers yet. I'm sure they're going to shot shoot up a bunch more. We've had this huge inflationary pressure, so the savings growth in the U.S. has just stopped. So these rising interest rates have created a host of issues for credit unions. Like I said, I think they caught credit unions be by surprise. I listened to other ALM vendors. They caught all the bankers by surprise too. So the credit unions are not alone in being caught by surprise. You see it in a number of ways. Interest rates went way up. Loan yields actually went down. People were really slow to adjust to those rising rates. Cost of funds stayed relatively stable. We'll talk about cost of fund implications maybe at the end of the podcast of what credit unions need to do. Um, but so everyone set risk tolerances. This is what we'll do in a 300 basis point shock. Well, now they're at those and we've got another 300 basis point shock in the model to come. And we have no idea where rates will go. The Fed says they're going to slow the rise of rates. We don't know where inflation is going to go. But with COVID and all these deposit surges, um, 
all your rate sensitive money is just kind of all mixed together with everything else. I went back and looked historically before 2009, CDs and money markets were about 50% of a credit deposit base. They're down to like 34 now. And, and more likely by the time we get through this next interest rate risk cycle, those money markets and CDs are probably going to be back up to 50% again. Right. Money is just all blended. When rates are low, people don't really care. As rates rise, they start caring. And once rates get in that three and a half, four percent 4%, people start paying attention as to what they're yielding. And then you add the inflation, which puts pressure on people's spending. They're looking to squeeze every drop of beet juice out of that deposit that they have on. So I think conditions are changing. Interest rate risk is going to be a big challenge. It has a huge impact on liquidity risk as well. And like I said, right now, credit unions or investment and loan portfolios are underwater and they are a diminished source of liquidity from what they used to be. So I can see why this is on there first because we just have not had a precedent for this level of interest rate risk combined with inflation, um, creating a lot of uncertainty. And credit didn't really respond as quickly as they needed to. So um, it's interesting that NCUA had to change their supervisory test and get rid of the extreme risk because that was going to create more problems maybe than it would solve forcing credit unions to de-risk without going through a very thoughtful process of whether that was necessary or not. So that was a positive thing that the agency did during 2022 is eliminate that category and give credit unions a little bit more chance to be responsive in a way that makes sense for them as opposed to being dictated to that you must reduce interest rate risk in an arbitrary fashion. But there's more and more credit unions will probably see doors about coming up with plans to manage interest rate risk next year. Yeah, and we're seeing that with with some of our clients. And, and as you mentioned, you, they required, my recollection is the change they made is they got rid of extreme and they got rid of, when they got rid of extreme, they got rid of the need to require the examiner to do a document resolution. And we were hearing that, Staff didn't really want to do that. That was kind of a, an example, like you said, that was something good NCUA did where credit unions were speaking to their trades and other folks, and that was getting back to NCUA, and NCUA realized they had a problem in that, in how that was structured. And without going into a huge amount of detail on that, there is a, a, a separate podcast we did on that, and I'll put a link into the show notes that 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 will, if someone's interested in listening to that again, they can. Steve, any, any thoughts you'd like to add on? On, on this first topic of interest rate risk, is this anything you you recall seeing in the in the in the 33 years at NCUA? Everything that's going on, not with such a volatile environment. Usually, it was it was happening more in a vacuum. So, so Todd had talked to me earlier about the the importance of your ALM models because you just you can't ignore all the impacts that this is having, and you you. You certainly can see the impact that's happening on the investment pricing because it, it, it's on your financial statement and unrealized losses. But as Todd pointed out, increasing interest rates have affected the value of your your loans also. So yeah, that's a really interesting concept too, because because you your portfolio you you can easily get that the value of what you can sell it at today, and because rates have gone up, those loans you booked 
generally speaking, are going to have less value, whether they're fixed or variable, depending on how that variable product works. Yet they don't have that as a number that they have to book on the financial statement, and it doesn't work into the gap gap equity ratio unless unless there's something I'm missing. So so you can have some credit unions that have a what appears to be a higher gap equity ratio, but may have just as many challenging interest rate risk issues and or liquidity issues. So that yeah, that's a that's an interesting takeaway. What so one other thing too. Um, so this is number one on the list. And I have this chart that that I put together and I'll I'll kind of put it back on my I'm gonna update it with 2023. But last year interest rate risk was 11th on the list. In 2021 it was last also in seventh out of seventh in 2020 excuse me, last year, they didn't even have it on there. They, they, it was just in 2021, it was liquidity risk only, liquidity risk only in 2020, 2019, they called it liquidity risk and interest rate risk. But every year for the last six years, it's been there kind of a, hey, keep your eyes on this. It might become an issue. So we'll throw it in here along with the kitchen sink. And boom, it went it went from from worst to first as far as what they're concerned about and with good with good reason. All right. So liquidity risk. Todd, you mentioned that borrowings doubled in the first nine months of 2022. We're waiting to see what we get from the fourth quarter numbers. We've dealt with some unique situations, seen some unique situations where credit unions are finding themselves in a bit more of a borrowed position, tapping into their federal home loan bank. Inflation's taking away from their share growth. And they got a bunch of influx of money during the pandemic that never left. So then they went a little longer. And then what happened when they went a little longer, either on their asset side, some of that money left in, in many institutions. So liquidity risk is number two. It's closely linked to interest rate risk. Any thoughts on what NCUA says here in the letter to credit unions on liquidity risk and it being number two this year? I think liquidity risk is going to be a bigger challenge for credit unions in 2023 than it has been at any time, probably in the last 20 or 30 years. Because of all the COVID deposits and the excess deposits, a lot of credit unions were able to kind of put off dealing with their liquidity risk. If you look at cost of funds, they didn't change at all in 2022. They stayed exactly the same. So people let money flow out of their deposit accounts. They supplemented it with borrowed money, non-member deposits. There wasn't really a change in their funding cost. And because they had excess deposits going into 2022, they were able to do that. Come 2023, those excess deposits are gone. They're not going to have the option of just going out and borrowing money. I looked yesterday, the Fed FHLB Topeka overnight borrowing rate was 4.54%, a huge cost. If you go out five years, you can make that a little bit lower. A one-year advance rate is 5%. But now that they can't sell investments, cash flows from them are really slow. They can't sell loan participations. Cash flows are very slow. Uh, credit unions are really going to have to sit down and look at their deposit strategy. How much money can we let flow out the door? Or how are we going to set pricing to retain and grow deposits? They're going to be paying up for deposits in 2023. I think there's very few credit unions have excess deposits where they can keep deposit costs down. They're going to have to start paying. And that creates a huge challenge for them on both sides of the balance sheet. I think it's appropriate that 
NCUA put this as number two because I think it's going to be a very large challenge for many of our credit unions out there, especially those that still have a little bit of loan demand. Good, good point. And that excess loan demand, last year, one of the things we talked about and, and was the, the loan participation being put on, on the priority list for the first time. And that's because loan particip- participations were growing so much. Well, when all the credit unions in your state and down the street are also having some liquidity issues, if you have excess loan demand, it's not so easy to find somewhere to park that demand that's in your credit union. So, hey, Steve, thoughts on liquidity risk? I know you spoke to the, last year, you spoke to the loan participation side of things and the growth there, and we've done some podcasts on loan participation and eligible obligations and and, and all that, but uh, liquidity risk, any thoughts on what Todd or I have said here? No, I think you've covered it pretty well. Okay, great. Great. Very good. And next up, number three is now in one way, shape, or form has been listed as the top priority. In 2018, it was commercial lending. 2019, it was concentrations of credit. 2020, just flat out credit risk. 2021, credit risk management. 2022, credit risk management. And this year, it's shortened up to just, and it falls from the first place priority to the third place priority. And with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you two chat a little bit about and NCUA having that number three on its priority list. Well, I think it's always going to be on NCUA's priority list because when you look at insurance fund losses and payouts, it's almost always, there's a few frauds here and there that catch the agency by surprise. And that's some payouts that are not predictable. But for the most part, NCUA's big dollar payouts are all due to credit risk. So it definitely needs to be on here. Right now, unemployment's been low. If you look at the FPRs, the asset quality on the surface looks good. Being as credit unions didn't react price-wise last year, loans grew 21%. That kind of hides some things that go on under the surface. If you look at delinquency, that grew by 25%. The ratio doesn't look like it went up a lot, but delinquent dollars went up quite a bit. And still, delinquency is, is quite low in terms of historical numbers, but there is rumblings on the surface. I find it interesting. Commercial real estate loans grew about 18% last year. All through COVID, you read all this stuff that there's going to be less demand for commercial real estate and uh, commercial real estate values are going to be uncertain in all these markets as people start working from home. But then the credit unions grow their commercial real estate loans by 18%. There might be nothing wrong with that. But did you jump in with your eyes wide open? And we've seen this in 2006, 2007 recessions. Credit unions jumped into this stuff too at the wrong time and they underpriced it and it ended up costing them dearly later. And sometimes you have to pay tuition expense. I'm sure in Elko meetings, all the lending people are saying we don't want to raise loan rates because they have their incentives to grow their loan portfolios. But with unemployment low, like I said, on the surface, the numbers still look good. But I think there's a lot of uncertainty of what can happen with credit. It doesn't take very much uh, when people are kind of out on the edge and with this inflation to start having problems. A lot of the big banks are saying they anticipate consumer loan losses going up. I think some of that will trickle over to credit unions. It's like any other time we've had recessions, certain credit unions that have good risk management processes, they go through it with 
they hire a few extra collectors and it's not a big deal. And then there's other credit unions that management processes weren't so good. Well, they lose a lot of capital. And then there's that small number that have terrible governance and management and they cost NCUA and other credit unions money. And we'll see what happens with this one. I don't know how it's going to play out. I will say this, management needs to be a key part of your ELCO. Everyone says ELCO should manage interest rate, risk, and liquidity. It's like, no, they need to be managing two. These three things go hand in hand. You can't really manage one without managing the other two. And so credit unions, they just need to have good management processes in place. I think NCUA will be focusing on what those processes look like. I hope credit unions are paying a lot of attention to how their credit characteristics in their portfolios are changing. I'll just kind of leave it at that. I probably spoke too much already. No, 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 that was good. Steve, any thoughts you want to add to Todd's discussion on management? Yeah, that comes down to Todd talked a lot about the review systems. So they need to put the resources into those systems. Don't wait until it's too late. And then the other thing is pay attention to what it's telling you. It's it's really easy to try and look at them with the rose-colored glasses and and try to ignore it. But this is certainly something that, that if your system is telling you your risk is increasing, I'm sure it is. I'm certainly really anxious to see what that fourth quarter number turned out to be in terms of overall delinquency growth. Because the as Todd talked about, the quarter-to-quarter increases in total delinquencies were pretty substantial, starting with the the second and third quarter, and I, I expect to be much more in the fourth. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And do either of you remember when those numbers go public with NCUA? I, I think the credit unions probably didn't have to get them until either the end of January or even maybe here the first week of February. Is it like this end of the second month that the data is I don't remember the dates, Mark. You don't have the drop-down box if you try and pull aggregates. I did pull a couple individual credit union FPRs for the end of the year yesterday that are clients of ours. Um, So individual ones are available now, but aggregate ones aren't. I do know they go through a whole process to validate data and stuff before they make them available to the public. And I just don't remember what the time frame for that is. I wanted them yesterday. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm actually, I, I, you guys know I've signed up for Callahan's peer-to-peer and I've, I've dipped my toe in that a little bit because because the, the information's available quicker. So I can actually go in and, and pull all those down, down and uh, I, I want to do a little bit of that uh, at some juncture here, but I've also been patiently waiting for NCUA. And I know there's a process and they have to validate the data. I've got it. So Steve, you, you mentioned rose-colored glasses. Don't look at the, pay attention to what the review systems are telling you. And Todd, you said something but I'm going to connect to that. You talked about tuition expense. So, and, and when you say tuition, it's not, hey, you're sending your kids to school. You're talking about, you You know, you were saying it in the context of commercial loans. Maybe you learned something that it was a wrong, long, wrong time to go out and do some commercial lending, and maybe you're going to take some losses. And it's those losses, which are, is your tuition expense. And exactly. See, okay. And Steve, you're kind of saying, take a look at those losses, take a look at those systems and what they're telling you. Don't look at it in rose-colored glasses realize and recognize that tuition expense and make changes to your business model. Do I, is that, did I tie those two thoughts together? Okay, guys. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Very good. And one other thought, Todd, is you're talking about these three things, how it's hard to delink them. We've had some conversations 
just privately and then with with some clients about the fact that liquidity liquidity is kind of in a scary situation right now, but it really only ultimately becomes a super problem if your asset quality is so bad that you can't hold those investments or your losses on your loans become so big that it's it kind of cascades on itself and creates bigger liquidity issues. Anything, do I have that right? Anything you'd like to add in that regard? Yeah, and as PCOs, we've all experienced this when credit unions have been cut off by the FHLB or other people. When your asset quality and capital levels are fine, you can raise liquidity. It, it might cost you some money, but there will, there will be people that will lend you money. Um, to the extent you have collateral. But as capital levels fall, it gets harder and harder to find people that will lend you money. And you let your net worth get down into the fours. And we shouldn't even talk about net worth. We should talk about gap equity because that's what a lot of your lenders are looking at. They're not looking at your regulatory net worth. They're looking at your gap equity. And that number has fallen pretty significantly in the last year as these rates went up. Uh, it went from 9.99 in 2021 to 8.55 in September. And I'm sure there's credits out there that have seen that number fall from their mid sevens on their FPR and it's probably down into the fours and fives. But as your gap equity deteriorates, and I'll tell you right now, the FHLB, they actually can't lend to you if that gap equity gets down to zero. Um, so as asset quality causes losses, it does exacerbate all the liquidity issues. And there is a point, and Steve, I, yourself, as problem case officers and DSAs, we've all gotten this call many times that the FHLB and even the Federal Reserve are not lending anybody any more money. So go figure out how you're going to manage liquidity within your own balance sheet. Or sometimes we have to just close the doors of those credit unions and, and merge them away. Our NCUA does have other ways to provide them assistance. But liquidity stresses are real. And if asset quality deteriorates, the liquidity stresses just magnify geometrically. Well said. And as I've said elsewhere and say frequently, liquidity doesn't matter until it matters. And then it's the only thing that matters. And it's a little... My other saying relative to liquidity is that it's kind of like oxygen. You breathe and you just kind of do it automatically, but you, you need that air and you need that liquidity. But when that when that air is gone and it's a little harder to breathe, just like liquidity, you notice it very quickly. Okay, and that's a wrap on priorities one, two, and three. This is about where my internet, my new internet, that is new and improved, but not so improved, collapsed on me. And I'm going to cut part one off here. We'll be back next week with the remainders of the priorities. Once again, thank you for listening. And this is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com.